0: I'm going to read, I usually pray and then I'll read the passage we're going to study and then we'll jump into it. And I'm going to read to you our passage for tonight. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. That's as far as we're getting. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now, like I said, that's as far as we're going to go, and I'm going to break verse 1 down into three sections for tonight. But before we do that, if you've never been a part of one of our Bible studies, we spend a little bit of time getting some background information when we start a new book. But I'm not going to be one of those teachers that's going to kill you with too much background information. I just want to give you enough So that you have an idea of why this book was written, when it was written, who it was written by, and what was the purpose, and that kind of stuff. And so that's what we're going to do. So you can look yourself. Who wrote this letter to the Thessalonians? Paul. But if you look closely, it doesn't just say Paul, though, does it? It says Paul Silvanus. By the way, if you don't know who Silvanus is, his name's Silas. You recognize him as Silas. Paul and Silas and Timothy. But... Paul actually, go to chapter 2 and look at verse uh, 18. He says, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So here we see Paul is actually the author of the book. The Holy Spirit, of course, through Paul. But he includes Silas and Timothy. And you're going to see in our introduction there's a reason why. Because as Paul showed up in Thessalonica, Silas and Timothy were with him when he did But we're going to show how that even began in just a little bit. But on top of that, as you're going to see a little bit later on tonight as well, because of persecution that happened when they're in Thessalonica, Paul at a certain point sent Timothy back to Thessalonica and Silas back to Philippi to go back and check on them while he was in Athens and then in Corinth and so on. And they then meet him back in Corinth and give reports. And then the letter is written because of that. And so that's why when he writes to the Thessalonians, he said, Paul, Venus or Silas and Timothy and and because it's coming from all of them even though Paul's the one that's writing this letter. So in order to get a little bit better of an idea of the story behind Paul and Silas and Timothy's encounters with the Thessalonians we got to go to Acts 15. Go back to Acts chapter 15 and we're going to start in verse 36. In Acts 15 verse 36. It says, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So if you know anything about what happened in Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey, in Acts chapter 13, they're two of the elders in the church there in Antioch. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas to the work that I've got for them. And they laid hands on him and sent him off. And the two of them went on the first missionary journeys. Now they're back And Paul says to Barnabas, let's go and check on those churches that we saw in our first missionary journey, see how they're doing. And Barnabas says, yeah, that's cool. Let's bring John Mark with us. Well, Paul goes, I'm not real comfortable with that idea because John Mark had been with them on their first missionary journey. And there was so much persecution. He was uncomfortable. He was scared. He deserted them. He said, nah, this ain't for me. And he left. Barnabas wants to give him another chance. Paul says, ah, And they disagreed on this so much so that they decided, you go your way, I'll go mine. They're not breaking from the faith. They're just deciding, I don't agree with you in this area. I'm going to take John Mark. I think he deserves another chance, Barnabas said. Paul says, I I just don't want to bring someone that's going to be a quitter. And he chooses Silas to go with him, and they head off on two different missionary journeys. I'm not going to take the time to break down all of that and get into it. Let me just tell you, God hates it when we get into disagreements like that. But God can still use it. And if you study the scriptures, you'll realize by the end of Paul's life, he's changed his attitude about John Mark. And he actually says when he's in his last days, go get John Mark and have him come. He's helpful for me. And you might not know it, but that John Mark who left them because he was scared is the one who wrote the book of Mark. He's actually he became one of the leaders in the church. All right. But now Paul and Silas head off on this next missionary journey. Look at chapter 16, though. Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now as they went on their way through the cities they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the regions of Phrygia and Galatia having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here we see Paul and Silas head off on this missionary journey. They go to these cities. They get into this one town, and he meets this young man, Timothy. If you know from his letters to Timothy, his mother and his grandmother were strong Christians, and they led him to the Lord. Paul saw something in him and said, you know what, I'd like him to accompany me. And he does. And because his father was a Greek, and he knew he was going to do some preaching in Jewish areas, he had him circumcised, not in order to be saved. because you know, clearly Paul taught in Galatians. Don't, don't let anybody have you do that. But in order to, so they wouldn't cause any problems, he had him circumcised, and he took him with him on the journey. Now, they then... Tried Try to go into Asia, but the Spirit won't let him. Try to go into Mysia, but the Spirit said, no, that's not where I want you to be. And then later he has this vision, this dream of a man in Macedonia saying, come and preach the gospel here. And they concluded that God wanted them to go to Macedonia. Now, this is important because as you're going to see in just a little bit, they're going to get to eventually, while they're in Macedonia, to a city named Thessalonica. And Thessalonica was like the capital of Macedonia at that time. If you're saying, Jim, where's Macedonia now? It's Greece. It's the area of Greece especially northern Greece, okay? So now, Paul and Timothy and Silas go into Macedonia. I'm not going to read the next verses to you, but some of you know the story. Paul just doesn't assume he's just going to go and start preaching. He's going to go looking for where God's already at work and begin to share the gospel there. Folks, let me just remind you, we've talked about this over and over, and I'm sure it'll come up more and more times. This plan of saving people is whose? It's all God's. He's the one that put it in motion before the foundation of the world. He's the one that set up the parameters and the only way you can be saved. He's the one that's accomplishing it. He's the one in Matthew 16, 18 said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's the one who determines where we go and when we go. He's the one who determines what we speak and when we're to speak and not to speak. And so Paul, remember when Jesus taught send his disciples out two by two, he said, when you go into a town, let your peace go out. If it's received, stay. If not, move on. And he was teaching them. Look for where I'm already at work. Let me set the appointments. You don't have to go and make the appointments. Let me set them. And you just go out into the harvest field and look for. And folks, I'm telling you, you will see more opportunities to share the gospel. If you stop trying to share the gospel with everybody and you just look everywhere you go, people you run into for those opportunities, the Holy Spirit will make you sensitive to the fact that he's doing something here. A very interesting thing happened to me uh, Monday I've been playing golf at my home course in Melbourne, Florida, at Crane Creek for years. And I play every Monday and Wednesday and Friday when I'm in town, if my schedule permits. And I have a standing tee time each of those days. And two of those days, Mondays and Fridays, we're either right in front of or right behind a group of four guys that have been playing just as much as we have all those years. And I'm gonna, I could tell you all their names. But for the fact, sake that we're being, it's being recorded, I won't. But these four guys, they know that I'm a preacher and they know what what I stand for. and, and, And I've shared with them, actually, a couple of guys I've talked to. But there's one in the group that's a little bit surly. And Monday, while I'm practicing putting on the practice screen, waiting to tee off, I could tell he was standing there wanting to talk to me. So I went over and I said, hey, how's it going? He said, do you got a minute? I said, "Uh, sure, what's up? And he said, well, you're a preacher, right? I go, yeah. He goes, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said in Romans chapter 4, it talks about how how God through Paul said that Abraham didn't waver in his faith concerning the promise of God. Yet, if you look at what he did with Hagar, it sure looks like he wavered in his faith. I'm literally sitting there trying to keep my jaw from hitting the floor. Because if you had asked me if he was even close to knowing anything about God, I would have said no. Yet, come to find out and talking with him, I said, again, I'm not going to say his name. I said, uh, first off, that's one of the deeper questions I've ever had asked to me. You've been reading the Bible. How come you know so much? He says, well, my brother's a preacher. Folks, you have no idea where God's at work. You may think, well, I don't think that person's... Don't assume you know. Don't assume you know. So Paul goes into Macedonia, and he looks for where God's at work, and he looks for a place of prayer. And back in those days, people used to gather by water because they thought there was some significance to that to seek God. And he found a group of people down by the water, the river's edge. And he shared the gospel there. And the first convert in Europe is a lady named Lydia. And she. the Bible says she was from the city of Thyatira and she was a seller of purple. By the way, if she was a seller of purple, she had money because purple was not cheap at that day. And she had influence. If she was a lady selling purple, lady had money and influence. So much so that she even said, if you consider me to be a real believer, can the church start in my house? By the way, a lot of you may not caught this, but when the Bible said she was from the city of Thyatira, that's back in Asia. Remember how Paul tried to go into Asia, but the Spirit wouldn't let him? It's like God said, I'm going to get you into Asia, but I'm going to use you in Macedonia to get the gospel to Asia. Again, stop trying to come up with a plan. Too many churches are trying to strategize how we can reach our community. Why don't you just go out and let him use you? Stop coming up with a plan and just use his. So, the church begins to grow, and it meets in Lydia's house. They keep going regularly to meet, and one day, this has been happening for a while, Paul got tired of it because there were these girls who had demons within them, and they kept saying out loud as Paul and them were heading to the place, they said, these men are of the Most High, from the Most High God, and they're showing you the way to be saved. Now, the people who owned these girls and used them as slaves were making a lot of money off of them because of the demons within them because they were using them as fortune tellers. And so Paul finally, after a couple of days, said, OK, enough of that. And he turns to the, the girls and he casts the demons out of them. But when the demons came out of the girls, they now can't fortune tell. And the owners of the girls got really mad. They went and got the Roman authorities. They grabbed them. They beat them. They threw them in the inner cell. And Paul and Silas are praising God and singing at midnight. And that's when God opens the doors of the prison. The chains fall off and none of the prisoners leave And the jailer and his family get saved. Now, some of you say, wait a minute, it said Paul and Silas. Where was Timothy? Well, there's a couple of options. One, he might not have been one of the ones they grabbed. Being a young boy, maybe they didn't grab him. Plus, we know from Scripture that you'll see clearly as we continue that he was there and a part of all this. Yet, for some reason, Paul and Silas are the main ones being listed. And most likely at this point, Paul and Silas, being more mature men, were more of the stronger leaders in the church. But Timothy's growing He's growing in his understanding. And in time, you're going to see that. But then go with me to Acts chapter 16 and look at verse 35. This is right after the jailer and his family get saved. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Now before we go any further, just kind of catch what's going on, when, when they go to release them, Paul said, By the way, um, y'all know about the law, how you're not allowed to beat a Roman citizen publicly without a trial. Well, guess what you guys just did to us two Roman citizens and magistrates when they realized, realized they had broken the law we're like could you please leave they come and ask them to leave Paul says we'll do it but we're going to go say goodbye to our friends before we do and they go visit Lydia and the church there and they encourage them and they head on now they're not there very long and they now head to Thessalonica go to Thessalonica now in chapter 17 now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia they came to where Thessalonica this is in Macedonia this is the capital now Seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. And now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the city But Silas and Timothy, so you see Timothy's still with them, remained there in Berea. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So here's where we are now. They end up in Thessalonica. Paul preaches there a brief period of time, at least three Sabbaths, maybe a little longer, but at least three Sabbaths he preaches there. But there are some converts. But for the most part, they quickly got attacked and they had to leave and they end up in Berea and then they end up in Athens. And there's this big question of did that church, did they make it? That's what Paul's concern is because he's been chased off. And you're going to see that a big reason why Paul is writing to the Thessalonians is because, as I'm going to explain to you in just a second, at a certain point, he sends Timothy back to check on him while Paul's going somewhere else. And Timothy has now come back and reported to Paul the good news that the church actually has made it. Even though it started off with such severe persecution, their faith is real, they're growing, they love Paul. We're gonna talk about all that kind of stuff coming up in the weeks to come. But Paul writes to the Thessalonians to praise God for the fact that their salvation's real, to encourage them and as you're going to see in our study of first and second Thessalonians, he had, while he was there, had taught a lot about the end times and eschatology and what was going to be coming next and all that. And there was some confusion still there. And he has to clarify a lot of that, which is what he's going to do in first and second Thessalonians. And so, folks, let me just say this to you. I really believe God led us to, to these two books next to study and where we are for those reasons that we would be encouraged that what God's begun is real And that we'll continue on and grow in what we've been given, not just be satisfied where we are. And at the same time, to have him prepare us for the return of Jesus and know a little bit more about what the Bible teaches about eschatology and last things and end times. So I'm excited about this study and I can't wait to get into it. And so go to 1 Thessalonians, I was right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Look at verse 1 through 6. Paul says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. Remember, Paul, uh, Timothy and Silas joined them in Athens. We just saw that at the end of chapter 17 there, in, uh, or not the end, but in the middle of chapter 17 in Acts. When we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith That no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. You all do know that just because someone prays a prayer and is baptized doesn't mean they're saved, right? It's only over time that you find out whether or not it's a real salvation. That's why the parable of the soils, some spring up, but then trouble comes and they fall away. Others spring up, but the things of this world choke it, and it really isn't salvation. It's only over time that we really come to realize who's saved and who's not. And that's not our job to figure it out, but it's something biblical we need to understand. And so Paul was like, I really didn't know if what was happening there was real. So I couldn't take it anymore, and I felt it was okay to be left alone, and I sent Timothy to go check on you in Thessalonica. Most likely Silas went to Philippi because you're going to see they both come back from Macedonia. So look at verse six. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, And has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. And then he goes on and he says, praise the Lord. Actually, when he came back and said the church is actually all right, it's doing well and it's growing. Man, I'm so excited. And that's why he's writing this letter to them with all those reasons we got into. Go to Acts chapter 18 real quick and look at verse five. We'll start in verse 1, catch you up to speed. Acts 18, verses 1 through 5. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth... And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because it was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, while Silas and, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. All right, so... Paul now leaves Athens, but while he was in Athens, remember he had gone to Athens first. He asked for for Silas and Timothy to join him. They must have. He sent them from Athens back to go check on the Thessalonians and check on the Philippians. They both come back from Macedonia to where Paul is in Corinth at this time and share the reports. So the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians and Second, was written by Paul from Corinth. All right? And... 1 Thessalonians was written around 51 A.D. That's if you're into that kind of stuff. Around 51 A.D. is when Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians. All right. So that's why the beginning says Paul and Silas and Timothy to the Thessalonians. All right. I already told you I was going to break verse 1 into three parts. You don't even realize it. But in the introduction, you already got the first part. The first part is it was written by Paul. Timothy and Silas, mainly Paul, but this is why all three were listed, because they were intricate in them coming to faith and going back and encouraging them with the word for a period of time. All right. So at this point, when Paul writes this letter, how have they seen Paul more or Timothy and Silas more? Timothy and Silas, right? They've seen them more than they've seen Paul. Hence, that's why Paul threw their names in. Now, Go back to chapter 1 of Thessalonians and look at verse 1 again. We've already broken the first part down. The first part is Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. The second part is this. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to miss this. He writes to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to take a little bit of time here and deal with something that we kind of know But we really don't know. And to be honest with you, I don't think we will ever fully understand what we're going to look at now, even though we kind of know it and need to know it more. I don't think even Jim Johnson will fully understand it until we get there. The fact that when you get saved, you are in Jesus and in the father. But not only are you in Jesus and in the father, they're in you. Go to John chapter 14. When I read this introduction, it immediately reminded me of something Jesus said to his disciples back in John chapter 14. Now, to catch you up to speed, in John 13, we see Jesus have the, la- the Passover or the Last Supper, as we call it, with his disciples. Judas was there, but Judas leaves and goes to betray Jesus. And now, between Judas going to betray Jesus and Jesus being arrested, Jesus in chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 is just pouring out into his disciples, the true ones, about what's to come and what they need to know And in chapter 14, he begins to teach them about the Holy Spirit who's been with them, but will be in them. Look at verse 15, John 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. That word in the Greek, another means another, just like me, Uh, another helper to be with you. How long? Forever. Forever. Don't let that slip by because there's a lot of times that we wonder if God's still there. He's promised to be with us forever, even the spirit of truth. If you're not sure who this helper is, let me clarify it for you. Jesus says, it's the spirit of truth in whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I love this. I will not leave you as orphans. Stop. You know what an orphan is, right? Someone that's been given birth to and then the parent leaves them on their own for whatever reason. That's an orphan. Jesus says, I'm not gonna give birth to you spiritually. I'm not gonna make you born again and then just leave you on your own. I'm gonna come to you. And actually, Jesus told him in John chapter 16, verse seven and eight, he said, it's good for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit can't come. But when I go away, the Father, then the Holy Spirit will come and he'll be with all of you. Right now, Jesus said, you gotta stand in line. When I'm on the earth, you got to stand in line to see me. Zacchaeus has got to climb a tree to even be able to look at me. The woman with the issue of blood has got to push through a crowd to even be able to touch me. How many times have we thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool to have Jesus back on the earth? You don't understand what we've been given. You don't want Jesus back on the earth without the Holy Spirit. you got to go get in line to go see Jesus. That's the way it was. But Jesus says, it's good that I go away because when I go away, then I can come back and be with you all. And that's what happened that night in the upper room or that morning in the upper room. When they were praying and the Holy Spirit came in, that pillar of fire that had signified the indwelling Holy Spirit in the tabernacle, remember how the tabernacle was built and the Holy Spirit came into it and there was a pillar of fire above it that led, that showed the Spirit was in it? That pillar of fire that was over the tabernacle came into that room and divided into individual pillars of fire over the heads of each one in the room. In other words, by signifying, just like I signified my spirit coming to indwell the tabernacle, I'm signifying my spirit come to indwell these moving tabernacles or temples of the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit came to live inside of each one of them. And now Jesus is with us all the time. But keep reading. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you in a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. And in that day, that day that this happens, you'll know that I am in my father and you're in me and I'm in you. Now, again, I don't think many of us really ever let this sink in. And I've used this illustration before. Some of you have seen it. Some of you might not have. But in order to illustrate this, I've taken some envelopes and three by five cards and I've done something. Remember the old offering envelopes? Some of you are dating yourself. But yes, the offering envelopes. I took an offering envelope and I took a little piece of paper and I put over the offering envelope and put my name on it. Jim Johnson. And then I took a three by five card and I put on the three by five card, Jesus or the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, in that day, you realize that I'm in you. And I take a bigger envelope. He said, and you're in me. And I have a bigger envelope. Has God the father in it? And it says, and it, he then said, and I'm in my father. Where am I right now? I'm I'm buried in God, am I not? By the way, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't let anybody tell you that you need a second encounter and all that. Ephesians chapter four, verse one says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. When you get saved and the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you, that's when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are. As we're going to see later in our study, tonight and throughout, there's the process of learning how to have all that's already there have full control and let him control you. But you already have everything you need. We're going to talk about that in just a second. By the way, do you see how Satan can't even get to me? Without having to go through God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit is not only around me, he's in me. I always tell people this. I think baptism by immersion is the biblical model. Because it's a picture. But I tell people this. If you want a real picture of your baptism in the Holy Spirit and your salvation, get baptized with your mouth open and your nose unplugged. Because <laughs> you are in him and he's in you. You know what I'm saying? You have been baptized in the Lord Jesus. Now, he says to the Thessalonians, to the church of the Thess- in Thessalonica, who are in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ Oh, go to John 17. Jesus actually prayed about this. John 17, look at verses 20 through 26. He's praying. He's already finished praying for his disciples. And he says, I don't ask for these only, Father, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Do you know that's us, right? We've believed in Jesus through the word of the apostles and the first disciples. And that's us. Jesus prayed for us. But look at what he prayed. That they all may be one, just as you father are in me and i'm in you that they also may be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me now i'm going to keep reading in just a second but don't miss this people have taken this passage where jesus prayed that we would be one and he and they turned it into praying that we would all get along that's not the context yes the bible talks about John chapter 13, verse 35, that the world will know that we're his disciples by a loved one for another. But the context here is Jesus is saying, I want them, Father, to have the exact same relationship that you and I have. I'm in you and you're in me and I want them to be in us. Keep reading it. You'll see it again. Look at verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Oh, and I love this father. I desire also that those whom you've given me may be with me where I am. Do you realize God wants you in heaven more than you want to get to heaven to see my glory? That you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me and I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. And there it is again. And I in them. Go ahead. Glenn. Sounds like not just the triune, but the all you. Yeah, it's the triune God. We're not going to become God, but we have experienced, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, let me ask you an honest question. Is the world seeing what Jesus prayed for? No. You know why? Because even though all of this is true, and even though all of us are walking around with this in reality, we don't live out of this. And we really don't know how, and that's what we're going to be looking at a lot that we would understand this a little bit more go to colossians chapter 1 look at verses 24 and 27 through 27 colossians 1 24 through 27 now Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is what? Christ in, you. in other words, Paul, we see that the Old Testament prophesied in Ezekiel 36 verses 22 and following that one day God's going to forgive the nation of Israel's sins, the, the nation that survives the tribulation. And he's going to erase their sin. He's going to wash them clean. He's going to put his spirit within them. And the promises for Israel are ours now in the church age to make Israel jealous. But we are now experiencing something that wasn't fully understood in the older times, but now being revealed to the church age is this mystery, this wonderful mystery of Christ in us. The hope of glory. Go to Colossians 2, though, and look at verse 6 through 15. Paul goes on and says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him... And established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits or principles of this world, and not according to Christ. All right? Look what he says next. And not according to Christ. He says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Did you catch that? Would you not agree that in Jesus was the fullness of God? Well, who's living in you now? The fullness of God. It's all there. Now, how do we partake of this power? Well, we're going to learn a lot more about that in a little bit. But Jesus tells us a little bit here through Paul in Colossians 3. Look at what he says in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, or since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I'm going to encourage you with something. I hope that you hear it as encouragement. Stop focusing on what's going on in the world around us. It's going to mess you up because your focus is going to be on what's going on in the world. And the Bible actually says that we're actually to be in the world, but not of it. And as we live in this world, we're to live in such a way that our focus is on what is real in the spiritual realm and who's really in control of everything. And at the same time, we're to be watching for his return and ready for his return, living in the way he wants us to so that when he comes, we won't be ashamed. But what are Christians doing today? We don't sound a whole lot different than the rest of the world that's freaking out about the latest, latest COVID numbers and what's going on in the globe. And we want to talk about politics and the government and all these things. And folks, I'm not saying we shouldn't be ignorant about what's happening, but that shouldn't be our focus. That's why I told you last time we were together, it's getting gloriously dark. You know why? Because as things get worse and worse in the globe, it lines up more and more with what the Bible says has happened right before the return and at the return of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm seeing. And the Bible actually tells us in the book of Peter that we are to be ready for, to give answer and reason for the hope that lies within us when people ask us. Nobody's asking you. You know why no one's asking us? Because even though we have God in us and we're in God and we have authority and we have power and all these things... We don't know how to live in it because we're too busy living in the flesh. Even though God's in us, we don't know how to live in the reality that is ours. Now, I'm not going to take it to an unbiblical realm where we can start casting Satan out of here and doing all this stuff. But at the same time, like you've heard me say before, Vance Abner said it years ago, we're so afraid of going out on a limb theologically, we don't even climb the tree anymore. And I want to be used to encourage you in these studies to start really walking in who we are in Jesus and the power that's available to us. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to what Paul prayed. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verses 13 and 4 and following. In him In Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. By the way, if he comes in, how long is he going to be with you? Forever. Now, look at what Paul says next. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He's called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, that's the body, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. And if you don't understand what kind of power we're talking about, it's according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. And by the way, if Jesus, is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. Where are you and I right now? We're already raised with Christ. It's hard to admit. I told you, I don't think we'll fully grasp all of this till we get to heaven. And I'm not even sure we'll fully grasp it then. Because I honestly think, honestly, the more I study the scriptures, I think eternity is going to be a continual, continuing growing in our knowledge of who God is and his awesomeness. Because the moment we get to, think we get to heaven and we fully understand everything like God, we'll be God. And I'm going to tell you right now, that'll never happen. But for eternity, you're going to be learning about his greatness. Paul then says in verse 22, And he put all things, God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to Who? The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jump to chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, just wait a minute. Didn't I already say that you've already been filled in him? Yes. But just because you've been filled in him doesn't mean that you're being filled in him. Do you understand the difference? You may have a tank full of gas, but if you don't tap into it, it doesn't do you any good. Do you have a tank full of gas? Yes. But have you stepped on the gas pedal and used any of it? Do you understand? And throughout the scriptures, when it talks about be being filled or Peter, filled, with the, filled by the Holy Spirit, it wasn't another filling coming from outside. He had already got a full tank and all he's ever going to need. Yet at the same time, at that time, he allowed the Spirit of God who was there to have control. Do you understand? And that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why it's be being filled, continually drinking of the rivers of living water that is ours, always there and never going to run out. But daily, and we're going to talk about this as we wrap up in just a little bit. Daily, in order to tap into that power that's ours, we have to first lay our flesh on the altar. You can't get up tomorrow and say, I'm going to walk in the power of the spirit today. God says, as you're going to see a little bit later, I don't give my power to proud people. I don't give my power to people who try to do it in their strength. I don't give my power To those who aren't humble. Let's go to our third thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We've already seen number one, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. We've already seen number two to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul says this, grace to you and peace. Now, I'm sure some of you know this. Maybe you don't. Does that sound familiar? Has anybody ever heard Paul say grace and peace to you before? If you haven't, let me just give you a couple. Go to Romans chapter 1. Go to Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verses two and three. To the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter one. Look at verses one and two. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that's in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, I could keep going through Paul's letters. I think you get the idea. Why does Paul say grace to you and peace? Just about every time when he writes a letter to the churches, not because that was the typical greeting. It's because, listen closely, if you don't get this, you're going to miss everything we're going to try to do in this study of First and Second Thessalonians. We need God's grace and his peace every single day. And honestly, the best thing I can pray for you is that you know how to experience God's grace. I don't have to pray that God would give it to you because he wants to. I'm praying that you would be willing to receive it. And the peace of God, which he, by the way, wants to give you. And you ever notice whenever he stepped into a room, what did he say? Peace be with you. Peace be unto you. Folks, I don't know about you. Actually, I kind of do because you're as messed up as me. You need grace. You need God's grace and his mercy. And I don't know about you, but I do because you're as messed up as me. You need his peace every day. You know why? Because even though we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, the guarantee of our eternity, even though as I walk around in this world, I'm like an armored tank in the spirit, and the the spiritual realm can't mess with me unless God allows it. He left all of that in a jar of clay. Why? The Bible tells us to show that His power is not from us, but from Him, and that's why daily, Romans 12:1 and 2 says we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices which is holy and acceptable, and that's our reasonable service or our spiritual act of worship. You want to worship God? There's nothing wrong with singing. That's a type of worship with God. You want to worship God? There's nothing wrong with listening to the teaching or studying the word. That's a type of worship. But you know what the Bible says is the truest worship? Surrender. Surrender. And laying yourself as a living offering daily, Lord this is your life that you created. This is your world that you created. And you chose me to be born at this time in this history because history, your word says you chose when I'd be born, where I'd be born, the exact places we'd live, all that. And you have a purpose for me. And it's not just that I would know you. it was also that I would know you more. And also you would like to use me. You determine according to your choice my abilities and my gifts and where you'd use me. And today I lay myself on the altar again and say, I need your grace. And I need your peace because even though I know these things, I need to know them here. And I don't know about you, but I know about you because you're as messed up as me. I may know it really good right now, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to have a weekday tomorrow or a moment. You know, I had the misfortune of playing golf this morning with somebody that was at the Bible study last night. And I made a fearful comment about the Hurricane Lee. And this jerk (laughs) brother, jerk brother, said, I remember a guy last night that talked about living in the boldness and trusting that if the hurricane comes, God's got it. And I said, I thought you were sleeping. (laughs) Go to James chapter 4. Look at verse six. Folks, I want you to understand how much God loves you and how much he wants you to experience his grace on a daily basis. He is every single day ready to bless, ready to empower, ready to use you. Oh, if you choose to live for yourself and choose to not listen, he's still going to get his stuff done. He's not sitting there saying, man, if Glenn doesn't get through this, I might not get done. He ain't worried about that. But he wants to use you so that he can receive glory by what he's done through you and So he can bless you. Listen to James chapter four, verse six. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, and they quote from the Old Testament, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. By the way, you all do realize the only way you can be saved is to acknowledge that you can't save yourself. If you think God does his part and you do your part, are you saved? It's all by his grace. That's why Jesus said, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? And didn't we do that? Didn't we preach in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Lord, we were working. Lord, we we should get points for that. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You can do lots of great Christian looking things. But if it's been done by you and your faith is in what you've done, it counts for nothing. He only gives grace to the humble. Remember the prayer of the Pharisee and the tax collector? The Pharisee, Lord, I'm thank you that I'm not like everybody else around me. I tithe, I do this, I fast. And the other guy, he just, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God said, that guy, the humble one, is the one who went home justified. You know what you have to do every day? You don't have to get saved every day. Remember, we already talked about it. You've been saved and you're sealed and you're, you're empowered. It's all there. But you have to, by faith, surrender yourself afresh and anew. Not in order to be saved, but in order to be sanctified and used. Hey, there's going to be things that happen. There's going to be people that say things and things that make you wonder how God's going to fix it. And there's going to be times when we worry and fear. And we're gonna learn more about this in, in the study, but that's why we have this glorious inheritance in the saints. Because we can encourage each other in those times, but not beat each other up and say, Janie, what are you doing worrying? You know? But actually saying, hey, you know what? I worry too sometimes. Well, you know what it reminds me and helps me? And we point each other back to Jesus. I personally, when I have those times where I feel very weak and worried and just overwhelmed, mm-hmm. I say. Nope, I have my salvation armor on. Very good for you. She's saying when she has those times where she's weak and worried and whatever, she reminds herself the truth of her who she is in Christ. But we need each other to, rem- to remind each other of that. Go to John 14. Remember that section we looked at at the very beginning? Or in the middle part when we are looking at how we're in the Father and in Jesus Christ and He's in us? In John 14... Look at verses 24 and following. Actually, 25 and following. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Don't miss this. He's promised to give us peace, but he's not going to give us peace like the world does. How does the world give peace? They solve the problem. The solution gets fixed. Right? That's... That's how the world's definition of peace comes. Oh, no, I might get a speeding ticket. Oh, good. He let me off. That's the world's type of peace. But the Bible actually, Paul says this in Philippians chapter 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you missed it, again, I'm going to say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Oh, we don't know this part because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. And don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. Now, before I get to the answer on what comes next, don't miss that. We hear don't be anxious about anything, and it mean, we think it means don't ever be anxious. Well, if you're never anxious, you're never going to make a prayer and a supplication to God. Right? He's not saying don't ever be anxious. He's saying when the anxious comes, don't dwell there you make your request to God. And the peace that passes understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. I shared this story last night. My wife and I, as you, some of you know, have three kids, and our oldest one, Nicole, who's about, she's 29 now. Becky, is that right? 29. When, when Becky and I were first pregnant with Nicole, and I'm, Becky was more pregnant with her than me, but when we were both <laughs> pregnant with Nicole, She started to bleed at a very serious time in the pregnancy, so much so that our doctor rushed us to a specialist. As we went to this guy, and they did examinations and everything, I stood there in tears and asked the doctor, will our baby live? And he said, I don't know. He said, but I do know who does know. And he grabbed our hands, and he prayed with us for that child. Now, a peace came over us. Now listen, he didn't say, everything's going to be okay. the Bleeding will stop by son such a time. He didn't say, give us that kind of peace. But we set our minds on things above. And we still didn't have an answer. We didn't know if the baby would live. But a peace came over us that was so overwhelming. I literally got out in the car and I said, I feel like ice cream. Do you want to go get ice cream? <laughs> and she goes, my wife never says no to ice cream. Back then we were poor and it was Wendy's Frosty, but still it was a good ice cream. That's what he wants us to give us every single day. He's not going to always give you an answer. He's not going to solve it. But he promises to give you peace. And that's why Paul wrote to this church and to everyone, grace and peace to you. Folks, that's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. Oh, he gives lots of grace. You and I wouldn't be standing here if he didn't. Yet at the same time, how much grace and peace are we missing out on because he's a generous father, but we're too busy saying, I'll fix it myself. I can't wait to get into this book. You think, well, Jim, at this rate, we'll take seven years to get through this book. No, I promise I've already written into October our study. We're going to cover a lot more verses in the the weeks to come. But for tonight, I just want to say it's been fun to be back together. I love you. Can't wait to see you next week. Thanks for coming.